Father, thank you once again, uh, not just for a place to get together and talk about the Bible, but your church. The relationships that your Holy Spirit builds in the midst of your people in this area. Connecting us with yourself, with each other, and most importantly with your Son, Jesus. And as we, we look to the Scriptures, as we look to written words on a page that we read, we know we do not just read them intellectually, but your Spirit guides us and points us toward the living Word, Jesus. Father, we want to be more like Him. We want to follow Him more closely. We want to see Him as He is. Uh, 100% man, 100% God in a mystery we cannot understand, the Savior of the world, the King of the kings, the anticipated Messiah, the returning ruler of all. Lord, may Your glory and honor and His praise be our focus as we look to your word and we look to um, what your word has to say about his mother Mary. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 this morning. Um, I was sharing with somebody uh, that the one of the great things about the internet is that it allows uh, humbugs and grinches to enjoy Christmas Um, so we're going to open Luke 2 with me playing the role of humbug. Um, I hate to ruin all your Christmas pageants, but I'm going to. Let's take a look at the book of Luke. Luke chapter 2. We're familiar with the story. We've, we've read it a million times. Uh, the, you know, the census goes out um, and... and and Joseph, and Joseph and Mary have to go to Bethlehem. Uh, one of the things that often, often is portrayed is, of course, Mary on the donkey making the journey from Galilee, very, very pregnant. Now, there's a very good reason why they include a donkey in all the Christmas pageants. Um, you know, pregnant women don't like to walk long distances like, say, 40 miles from Galilee to Bethlehem. Um, but one of the things that often is portrayed is that somehow Joseph and Mary are strangers in Bethlehem. Um, and I would actually contend that that is not the case. Um, Mary's family lives in the hill country around Bethlehem. Uh, Ze Zechariah and Elizabeth live there, and she's able to walk to their house when she's... Um, and, and so I, I think that they actually are from that area. Um, they're from that area, but, but Joseph is working in Galilee, and there's a lot of things that he could be doing. He's described in the Bible, the word is usually translated as carpenter, but it actually means artisan. Um, he could be any number of things. Um, one thing's for sure, nothing taking away from the passion of Christ. But if, you, if you've seen the passion of Christ, there's a moment where Jesus makes a chair and a table and Mary sits down and says it'll never catch on. Um, he wasn't making furniture. Um, see, he could, have been, he could have been anything from a boat maker to a stonemason. We really don't know what Joseph was doing. But Galilee, and I appreciate, Bree brought, uh, emailed me this, this week um, about the, the description of Galilee in the Old Testament. Uh, Galilee was the first region of, of the northern kingdom of Israel to be conquered by the Assyrians. And it was depopulated. And thereafter, uh, Isaiah refers to it in Isaiah chapter 9, he refers to it as the Galilee of the Gentiles or Galilee of the nations. Galilee was not even considered part of Israel for most of its history. 
um, it was incorporated into the into the the um, the rule of Herod the Great as part of this this the king of the Jews thing. But everybody looked down on the Galileans. And when the Romans moved into Galilee, uh, the first thing they started doing with the Greeks and then the Romans, they started building Greek and Roman cities. If you read through the Gospels and you read about the Decapolis, the ten cities, those were on the eastern side of Galilee, um, and they are all Greek cities. When Jesus uh, speaks at Caesarea Philippi, um, he, there's a moment where he says the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. Um, well, he's actually probably, at Caesarea Philippi, there is an actual cave that the Greeks believed was the home of Pan and the entrance to Hades, the underworld. And that is just north of Galilee. That's the region that Jesus is from. Um, so Jesus is an outlier. He, he grows up in Galilee because Joseph is, uh, doesn't want to have his family raised in Judea where the Herodians rule, the, the, king, the kings descended from Herod. But he is, um, he is not a Galilean. Joseph is not a Galilean. He's a Judean. He's from uh, that area. So when we read this story, right, of course, when you're reading the Christmas pageant, when you're sitting and watching the Christmas pageant, we all love them. We watch our little kids doing the Christmas pageant. I've been in Christmas pageants where I played the innkeeper, um, and I played him kind of like Miracle Max from Princess Bride. He's like, oh, these are lovely, uh, you know, um, the, this whole, so, uh, but when we read the Christmas pageant, what happens? Mary and Joseph come in, they're wandering, and then they, they go where? Where do they go? They go to the inn, and there's a hotel keeper, and he tells them there's no vacancies. Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. That is not what happens. All right, sorry. I hate to ruin everybody's, everybody's day, but that's not what happens. All right, the Greek word that is there um, is, is a word. It's katalema. It means the guest lodgings. It's probably part of someone's house. The house is full because the family is there for the census. And I don't know about you, but if you're a crowded family gathering, the one thing you do not want to include in that crowded family gathering is childbirth. So there's no room for her to have a baby in the house. So where do they go? Wrong. There are no barns. And think about, now think about this from an economical, economic sense, all right? Everybody thinks, well, then she goes off into this barn, right? And there's all these arguments about there was a tower, there was a watchtower that was used by the shepherds for the birthing of babies. And there's all this, uh, this stuff that is accreted, you know, there's these stories about wrapping newborn babies in swaddling clothes, or newborn lambs in swaddling clothes and all this stuff that has absolutely zero actual historical basis. It sounds really cool. But think about this. You're a poor family all right, in the Roman world. Uh, you have only a couple of animals, right? Do you keep them in a building away from your house where their heat is wasted, where they're not easily accessible in the cold? The, the way that the homes were built in this part, and there are still, you can go to a place called Tybee, um, which is in what would be considered Samaria, and you can see they, they still have a house that they excavated the remains and they reconstructed it. The family lived on the on an elevated floor, and then there was like a wall, and behind that was the catalema, the guest area, and then underneath the family area was where they kept the animals during the cold nights, and that's where the manger was. So think about, you given the option between having childbirth in the midst of a family reunion, 
or letting her have a baby down where the animals are kept, where there's hay and there's, there's a place that, you know, this is a place you don't mind getting dirty. So she goes downstairs and she has the baby down there. And, and we read this, you know, you get this whole thing. I mean, we joke around about, there's a passage where it says the shepherds come and they see Mary and Joseph and, and the baby all lying in a manger. It's like, that must have been cozy. Well, it's not like a little box, right? You know, it's not like a, a th- this is a, a large area for taking care of animals. Um, the one thing that people often bring up as an objection to the Christmas story, it doesn't snow in Israel. I beg to differ. When I was in Israel in 2014, there had been snow in Egypt. It had been snowing on the pyramids of Giza. And there was still snow on the ground in Jerusalem when we were there in January. Um, So it does snow in the winter uh, in Israel. Not often, but it does. So there could have been snow on the ground. So that's one thing about the Christmas carols that everybody freaks out about that might actually be right. But we're not going to talk about Jesus' birth. I've humbugged enough. I'm going to humbug again next week. I love to ruin illusions. Um, We're talking about Mary as Jesus' mother. Mary as his mother. Last week we talked about her as the virgin, the one chosen by God. But today we want to talk about her as his mother. And uh, there's a few passages. I'm going to mention the passage that, that, that Jim uh, mentioned, but I want to get into the part after the Christmas stuff. So, you know, we get the whole thing. She goes to the house, the inn, the, you know, uh, the, they, they have the baby, the shepherds with the sh- crowd of angels, and we'll read all that at Christmas Eve. We'll, we'll get through that whole narrative. And they sing glory to God in the highest, just, just as a side note for that. This is one of the extraordinary literary moments of, of, uh, of Luke's work. Uh, Luke is writing to the Roman world, when an emperor's child was born, the senators sang. So when the Son of God is born, the shepherds sing. It's, Luke loves the divine reversal. He loves that those who should get it don't, and those who shouldn't get it do. Um, and so there's this contrast that's going on. But we want to get into verse 21, chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, and verse, 20, uh, verse 21. After all the hoopla is over, After all, the hoopla is over. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel, before he was conceived in the womb. Now that's Joseph's job. Joseph decides the name of his son. So Joseph is being obedient. He says they circumcised Jesus. That's when they give him the name. They waited eight days, by the way, because of the high infant mortality. It was a very likely chance a child would die within a week after being born. So this is an ancient practice. You just don't give him a name. Um, but that eighth day, he's circumcised. They give him the name. Um, they call him Yeshua uh, or salvation. That's what that means. All right? Yeshua means the salvation of, of Yahweh. Then in verse 22, And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now, uh, what the reference here is to uh, Leviticus chapter 12. If a woman was had a child, she had to wait 33 days before she should go. She could go back to the. She could go to the tabernacle or the temple. If she had a son, it was 33 days. If it was, she had a daughter, it was 66. I have no idea why it 
twice as long for girls. I mean, I don't, I've never given birth, so I, I assume they get born the same way. Like, I don't know why it's more complicated, but um, there's a thing in Leviticus. And so they wait a month, all right? So they're in Bethlehem, and I mentioned this earlier. They're in Bethlehem staying probably with her family for a month. And that's probably, by the way, when the, the, um, the, the Magi don't show up yet, right? Um, but the, this is probably this, this time period I talked about um, where the baby's crying and all that stuff. The Magi probably show up sometime after this, um, somewhere between the time Jesus was born and the time he was two years old. We don't really know when they show up. Um, but they're, they're going to be presented at the temple, right? So this is the presentation of Jesus. Um, in Exodus chapter 13, um, there is a statement that God makes that is, um, it comes out of the Passover, okay? So in the Passover, if you remember, the last of the ten plagues that, is, that Egypt has before Israel exits Egypt, before Israel is given um, permission to leave, excuse me, the last plague is the, is the death of the firstborn, all right? And there's this moment where the, the Israelites, they have to, they slaughter a firstborn lamb, um, and they have pure lamb, and they spread the blood on the, the door frame and the lintel, and the angel of death passes over their houses, but any house that's not covered, the firstborn is killed. Well, in Exodus chapter 13, we find out that the, that the firstborn is the Lord's. The, the scriptures are actually, and you, you, can, you, can, you can look at it if you want. You don't have to. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it for you. Um, but there's, there's this law, all right? And, and it is, the Lord said in chapter 13, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Now, the principle is, by the way, th- this, is, uh, this is just a practical side of it. The principle of the, of the scriptures is, you give to God first, and then you take care of everything else. Uh, that's just a biblical principle. Well, we, we get into, especially in Western society, we have a tendency to give God the dregs. What's left over after I've taken care of everything else? So I put all my greatest talents and all my greatest abilities into things that generate money for me, and then I give God whatever's left over with my time. That is not what is structured in the Scriptures. I'm not going to get into the money issue of it, but the Scriptures are God gets the first, not the last. It's built into the, the Levitical law, the, the, the feast uh, of uh, first fruits, what is called Pentecost, or Shavuot, um, that festival, you bring the first fruits. You don't bring what's left over after you're done harvesting. You bring the first. That is the driving principle. If you've ever wondered why I'm so obsessive about be as good as you possibly can in the ministry that you're involved in, do it to the best of your ability. It's because God deserves the first fruits of your effort, not the last. And God deserves it. He's entitled to it. It's His. So this, this law, the Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me all the firstborn. You go ahead and agree with me. That's what consecrate means. You agree with me that they belong to me. Now, if you've just seen the firstborn of the Egyptians knocked out, you're thinking this is a good plan. You're like, God wants the firstborn, we're going to give him the firstborn. But what do you do? Does every single family hand over their firstborn son to the temple? That could get real chaotic real fast. Um, just a bunch of firstborn kids. Now, my sister, I'm the middle kid. I know that comes as a surprise to no one that studied birth orders. Uh, I'm the middle kid. My oldest sister, uh, she is the firstborn, and she is definitely the firstborn. 
Um, and I, this is why we only have one kid. That way we didn't have to rank them. We just, she just got it all together, you know. Um, but the, he, the firstborn kid, you can imagine a priesthood composed entirely of the firstborn of every household. It would be chaos. There'd be one organizing the paper clips by color, another one organizing them by shape. We'd never get done. Um, so so the, uh, uh, my sister does legitimately organize file folders and, and paper clips by color. Um, but anyway, uh, everybody, all the other firstborns in the room are going, other people don't do that? Um, but uh, anyway, the, so the firstborn is supposed to be consecrated, but the deal is that you bring them and you can make a sacrifice. You can offer a lamb and a turtle dove or a pigeon. I mean, <laughs> that, again, these are these moments in the sacrifice are like, well, you don't, if you don't have a, a turtle dove, I, I don't even know what a turtle dove is. All I, I, know, <laughs> I know I should, but in my head, I just see a dove with a shell walking. <laughs> these are easy to catch. We sacrifice these bad boys. Um, but the, I know that's not what they are. I'm going to get a bunch of links, but this is what a turtle dove is. Do some research. I know what they are. But, you know, they're basically, you know, and then you can bring a, a pigeon or something, you know, just grab one on the street and, and bring it. And the idea was you brought a lamb, but if you didn't have one, you could bring two turtle doves. And you would redeem your firstborn so they could come home to you, so they could be with you. And that's what they're doing here. Every male who opens the womb and shall be called holy to the Lord. This is this Ezekiel, uh, Exodus 13. So 30 days after Jesus has been born, 33 days, 35 days, whatever it is. Bethlehem is real close to Jerusalem. It's only about 15 miles away. Um, and so it's, 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 a, it's a relatively easy walk. I know I say that to people in cars, but 15 miles is not that big of a walk for people who walk regularly. And so she would have strapped uh, uh, Jesus up um, in some kind of carrying thing and she and joseph would have set out and they would have gone to jerusalem and they would have walked from bethlehem they would have come up they would have crossed the kidron valley on a they had these bridges that came across and they would have gone into the temple area and the purpose would have been to find a priest and to go to that priest and offer this this the they're going to bring two turtle doves um they're they're going to bring these two turtle doves because you think about they're traveling they don't they don't have sheep with them they're in bethlehem they're not at home um and some people say, well, this means that they were poor. It just, it just means that they didn't have, they didn't have a sheep. Um, and so, uh, so they show up with the two turtle doves. So they come in, and as they go to the temple to do this, in verse, verse 25, we hit where, where, um, where Jim was reading. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem, his name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's, that's code for the Messiah. Right? He's waiting for the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed him. So here's Mary and Joseph. They're walking, and let's, they've got a baby. It's like, let's get in. I mean, you know what it's like shopping with an with a, with a infant. Get in, get out, let's go. So they're at the temple. They're like, got this baby. Let's get in, get the turtle dove to the priest. And in comes this old man who scoops up the child. Now, if I'm Mary and Joseph, I'm going, no, wait, this is weird. He scoops up the child and he starts to sing. Now, my wife lives for the day when she's walking down the street and everybody breaks into West Side Story. Or Les Mis. She, lo- she thinks the world should be a musical. There would be less war if as the armies came forward and they started going... 
You know, this would be so much better. The world will be resolved by Broadway specials, you know. Uh, and, and she might not be wrong. I mean, this might be the answer to all things. Sing battle, you know. And, and, uh, but this, this is what happens. This old guy swoops in, grabs their kid, and starts singing. Now, how he sings is an interesting question. I have a theory that he's not singing a big, boisterous, baritone solo. He's singing a lullaby. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. What does Jesus' name mean? Salvation. He says the boy's name. That you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Where is Jesus going to live? Galilee of the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him no <laughs> no kidding right I mean this is crazy this guy started doing this thing behold Simon blessed them and said to Mary his mother verse 34 who did he talk to he doesn't talk to Joseph you know the Jewish rabbis don't talk to women. Jewish leaders in this day do not talk to women. Women were supposed to be silent and busy in the temple. There was actually courtyards. There was a courtyard at which women were not allowed to go beyond. There was actually a barrier that said no women beyond this point. Simeon, this old man, he and he turns and he looks at this teenage mother and he says... Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now, look at what he says. I've talked about the divine reversal, the idea that those who get it won't and those who should get it don't and those who don't, shouldn't get it do. We talked about the shepherds. But it's actually baked into what he says, the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. The opposition of the world system. Luke's message is the gospel is not this world's way of life. It is God's way of life. It's the world turned upside down. He breaks her heart. A sword will pierce through your own soul also. Also. Also, in other words, you will feel the grief and pain that his true father feels. You'll see, you'll feel some of that when you watch him be crucified. Simeon speaks to Mary. Now, I I have a a very curious reason why I think he does. I think that for all the stuff. That goes on. Uh, somebody the other day uh, sent, I thought it was funny, the song Mary Did You Know, which we did last week, right? Beautiful song, Buddy Green, uh, Mark Lowry, fantastic song. Somebody posted an alternate version of the word where it says, Mary freaking knew. Because an angel showed up to her and told her all these things. Listen, it doesn't matter how true something is. When that baby starts screaming, you know, I used to think, I used to be so judgmental of parents who got frustrated with their kid for screaming for no reason until I had a kid and felt those frustrations. 
I'm not proud of some of the thoughts that passed through my mind when that child wouldn't stop yelling. There was some crazy stuff going on. I mean, there were days I would come home, Nicole would go, here, and then she would just go in the room and cry. Because she'd be dealing with screaming baby. We didn't, Ariel never went to daycare. She, we, we were our primary caregivers. We don't have family around. Um, when she was, she was a month old, right? A month old was when I candidated for the church. We took the church in November of 2004. She was four months old. I t- we started doing the music. Um, Becky was very pregnant with Jenna at the time. We would drag the half-coat kids and my daughter, and we would plop them down in the sanctuary and hope that nobody died while we sang, while we practiced. That was our life. That's what we did. So Mary has got a... I, I picture Mary coming to the temple with a screaming baby. Jesus, please be quiet. I know, I know, you're going to overturn the tables eventually, but you're too small right now. I, I get it, I get it. They're teaching the wrong thing, I get this. And in comes this old man, swoops him up, sings a lullaby, puts the baby back to, put to sleep, puts him back in Mary's arms, and he says, you know, one day this child is going to be the fall and the rise of, it, of many in Israel. And Mary needed to hear that. She needed to be reminded of what the angel had said in the midst of that. Fast forward real quick to Jesus being 12 years old and they go to the temple again. In verse 41, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. This is when Jesus would have been allowed to come. This is what today is called the bar mitzvah, the son of the commandment or the son of the, the, the deed of the commandment. Um, and when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, because what 12-year-old wouldn't do that? His parents did not know it. Got questions about that one. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. And when they had begun to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. Three days they found him in the temple. I have questions. A 12-year-old is running around the temple questioning scribes, priests, and no one is asking where is this children, child's parent. Why, why is there no one telling this kid to please be quiet, go eat a snack? You're not old enough to ask these questions. I love Jesus being precocious like this. And all who heard him were amazed at his... Uh, at three, ten, three days they found him sitting among the teachers, among the rabbis, listening to them and asking them questions. Now, by the way, uh, this description, he's with the Pharisees. The, the Pharisees are the Ravoni, the teachers. He's not with the priesthood. The priesthood is corrupt. The priesthood is destroyed. But the, the Pharisees, they're often a little enclave on the side of the temple uh, courtyard, and they're hanging out with this 12-year-old, and they're asking him questions, and he's giving these extraordinary answers. And they're like, they're like Abraham, you've got to come over here. You've got to listen to this kid. I mean, th- this kid is going on. They're feeding him. He's there for three days. That, that blows my mind. Right? And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. You see Mary's mistake? Jesus corrects her. He said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you know that I must be in my father's house? My, your, my father and, I, and you were looking for me? I don't think so. Joseph and you were looking for me. 
I was about the business of my father. Now Jesus knows who he is in the temple. But what, what's extraordinary to me, and there's whole sermons packed into this, and I, I really want you to take home and, and process this. Uh, I was asked this week you know, about, about the way that... I, my, my intention when I'm preaching is never to give you all the answers. I want to start a conversation. I want you to have a conversation on your way home that isn't, man, it was hot in there. But it, it, it's like, what is it? Man, this, this idea of Jesus and, and, and how he's interacting and how he's engaged with all this. Now, why does Mary say this? I believe that Mary says this because she is literally worried she has lost track of the Son of the Most High. She had an angel tell him he was special. Joseph had a vision that told him he was special. Simeon tells him he was special. Anna tells him he was special. They take him to Jerusalem one time and they lose him. Now, there seems to be a sense in which he was just a very, he was able to handle things. I was going through pictures of Ariel when we went to Israel, um, and she was eight, and um, not ten, ten, nine. She was nine, right? Nine, because it's 2014. Um, she's nine years old. We got on a bus. We had about 30 people on the bus. She immediately had 30 grandparents. We very rarely looked for her during the day. She was with all of these other wonderful, extraordinary Christian people. She's hanging out with Mike Card. She's hanging out with the photographers. She's, you know, hanging over the edge of a waterfall with old people. I mean, she was just, she was having a blast. She had the greatest time in the world, little kid in Israel with all these Christian parents around her. It was like, she didn't really, she, and she just drifting around. She's moving around the bus, sitting with different people, um, mooching food off of them, getting, getting them to buy her stuffed animals. Giving, they were paying for camel rides. I mean, they, it was like, it was awesome, this little kid. Nicole and I didn't really have to, to worry about where she was because everybody, we would, we would get in the bus. I'm not exaggerating. and go, where's Ariel? And somebody would go, she's here. Well, all right, we can go. You know? Well, that's, that seems to be the way that Jesus was. Jesus just floated around. He was just one of those, those kids. He just loved to interact. And so Mary and Joseph don't look for him for a day. They figure he's okay. You know, they go out a day. They come back a day. They search for a day. They finally find him. She's worried. I think she's worried, but she missteps. She doesn't, she's, she's again, she's kind of lost track of who he is. And you could develop sermons out of both of those confrontations, but here's the idea for me. This, this is the big idea of this particular passage. We talked about him as his mother. This is my big idea. This is, this is what I took away from this. It doesn't mean that it's what you are going to take away from it, but this is what I took away from it. Is Mary's participation in a conversation that should be reserved for men. Simeon doesn't need to talk to her. In fact, he's actually supposed to be talking past her to Joseph. When Jesus shows up, the rabbis that Jesus are talking to should have reprimanded Mary for daring to question a young man of Israel while he is engaged with the rabbis. Women are not allowed to do that in this society. How strong... A woman is Mary. God, God built her special. Not, not divine, but to be the mother of Christ, to be the mother of Jesus, took some real tenacity. She, she does not, I mean, we find her later on with his adult, in his adult life. 
he often says things that when we read them, we look at him and go, wow, he was kind of rude. And she just, she, she, she expects you to be direct, and she's direct. Mary does not mess around. I mean, she tears in that temple. Again, all I can see is Mary and Joseph tearing into the courtyard, Mary looking around, Joseph trying to figure out what, what he's supposed to do because he's not a rabbi. He doesn't. Mary sees Jesus, sees a clump of rabbis and goes, that's where he is. And goes over, breaks it up. Where have you been? And nobody questions her. Jesus answers her. And then the Bible says, and then he was submissive to them. He said, okay, mom, let's go. It is, it is extraordinary to me. And it is so important that we understand that this informed, Mary was crucial in informing the difference in the Christian view of women from the Jewish view of women. In, in the church, women are given a voice. In the church, women are commanded to go and learn the Scriptures so they can engage intelligently with the Scriptures. There, there, women in Luke and Acts and Paul's writing, women are given very elevated status. Some of them serve as, as, as co, uh, co-leaders with their husbands. There are, there are female servants, deacons that are named. They, all through Luke and Paul, we find this elevation of women in the church that would have never happened in Judaism. Why? I think it's because of her. And I think, to be honest, that when we take her and we make her some kind of divine being like the liturgical churches do, we strip her of her true influence and significance. And if we make her just a vessel to carry Jesus for nine months and then kind of walk with Him, we strip her of the extraordinary model that she offers us of a faithful woman. All too often, we are, we are sold on this idea that, that a woman... All right, she has to be kind of a secondary character. Let me ask you a question. Was Mary a secondary character in this marriage? She is a force to be. I would not have wanted to be one of Jesus' friends trying to convince him to do something that was bad and she found out about it. She strikes me as a woman that would have come down on you with the wrath of God. Do you know who he is? You cannot take him to the railroad trussle. Jesus, go be God. Okay, mom. You know, I mean, I mean, this, and not that Jesus would have actually done it, but I just, this woman, I mean, she's intimidating. I can't imagine a teenage girl just marching into the temple like this. The extraordinary thing to me is that Mary is a full participant in the conversation about Jesus and his role and his growth and his ministry. I bet you've never heard a sermon sound like that. I want you to take that home and think about what it means for the church. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, you chose a woman that truly, her testimony resonates a woman of faith a woman of truth, a woman committed to the role that she was given. 
we have all these false visions of what women should be. Father, help us to look to models in the Scriptures, people like Mary, people like uh, Prisca, who, who stood for the faith, stood for Christ, challenged what was acceptable to serve what was eternal. Who honored the Scriptures, who honored Christ, who honored Your Word and Your Spirit. And Lord, help us both to be people like that and to support and strengthen those who need to be like that. We pray all this.